You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. The CEO of McDonald's, a man whose name I'd never heard before looking at today's papers, where technically I didn't hear it, I read it, but whatever, it doesn't matter. The CEO of McDonald's is out. Steve Easterbrook, who's credited with turning the crap food giant around, excuse me, the fast food giant around, he's no longer at McDonald's for one of the same reasons Katie Hill is no longer in Congress. No revenge porn was involved in this case. Easterbrook has an ex-spouse, but not a bitter and allegedly abusive one. Nothing like Katie Hill's soon-to-be ex-spouse. And Easterbrook wasn't the target of a right-wing smear campaign and didn't have personal private photos weaponized against him. Also, Easterbrook didn't resign. He was fired over the weekend after he engaged in a consensual relationship with an employee that violated company policy, the New York Times reported. The Washington Post emphasized in the headline on the front page that the relationship was consensual. McDonald's CEO fired for consensual relationship with employee, company says. So McDonald's really wants us to know this relationship was consensual. And so does Easterbrook, who emphasized the consensuality of the relationship to the Financial Times. But that's all they want us to know. And maybe that's really all we need to know. Easterbrook had a sexual relationship with someone who reported to him. He fucked up and he's out. Oh, no, wait. Easterbrook fucked it down. He fucked someone below him. His affair partner fucked up. And as we discussed recently, fucking down in the workplace, fucking someone who reports to you is not okay, and in many places now is a firing offense. Fucking up isn't okay either, although there's no indication Easterbrook's affair partner was fired. But the takeaway here is, you know, if you absolutely positively must fuck someone at work, like I said when the Katie Hill story was first breaking, your best bet is the lateral fuck. Fuck someone who's your equal. But you know what? Actually, scratch that. Today's lateral fuck is one promotion away from being a fuck up or a fuck down. So your best bet is to not fuck people that you work with at all. The rule Easterbrook admits to violating and Hill is alleged to have violated, both are relatively recent. Like the House of Representatives, which only banned sexual relationships between House members and staffers less than two years ago in response to the Me Too movement, and quite rightly so, McDonald's only banned relationships between superiors and subordinates a couple of years ago, too. And those are moves I support, even knowing, as I do, that making rules about who's allowed to fuck who isn't exactly foolproof. My whole gay life has been one big violation of rules. Consensual violations, but still violations. Anyway, less than 20 years ago, in 2000, one in five couples met at work. Today, that number is down to 10%. But still... Even today, with 40% of all couples meeting online, and that number is rising, Stanford University is doing the research, and on the charts, it is a line pointing straight up. Still, one out of every 10 couples, still today, meet in the workplace. And the odds that all of those relationships, the one in 10, started as lateral fucks and remained lateral fucks the entire time seem pretty slim. Increasingly, people today who are having consensual sexual relationships with coworkers are kind of where gay people were 50 years ago, keeping it secret, hoping they don't get caught, hoping they don't get fired. But unlike persecuting people for being gay, banning workplace relationships does serve a social good. Mainstream culture, straight, heterosexist, patriarchal, that culture for a long time held up the small handful of quote-unquote successful relationships that started in the workplace – Workplace relationships that led to marriage and kids, mainstream culture's standard of success for romantic and sexual relationships, they held those up to justify not just tolerating sexual harassment in the workplace, but to justify sexual harassment itself in the workplace. And getting past that and putting an end to that, that is a social good that I can support along with the board of McDonald's. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, I speak with Dr. Alain Brunet, professor of psychiatry at McGill University, about his fascinating work on a drug that can be used to cure heartbreak. Sound too good to be true? You're going to want to listen to that segment on the magnum, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. 
This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Get 50% off one item and free shipping when you enter the offer code SAVAGE at checkout. Me Undies makes feel good underpants your butt will be proud to wear and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. And to check it out yourself, go to MeUndies.com slash Savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Everlane, luxury basic clothing and accessories made at ethical factories without those retail markups. For free shipping and to support the Lovecast, go to everlane.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a mid-20s female uh, living on the West Coast, and I have a question for you. Um, So about a year ago now, I slept with one of my friend's ex-boyfriends. They had been broken up for over a year, but he was her college boyfriend. And it was only one time. It wasn't building or anything. It was just a stupid drunk night. And now I'm wondering, should I tell her or not? You do not have to tell your friend you slept with her ex. I think we should live in a world and I'd rather live in a world where it wouldn't be a problem that you slept with a friend's ex-boyfriend. Actually, I live in a world where that isn't a problem. I live in gay land. Gays are a tiny percentage of the population. We don't have this luxury that straight people seem to have or feel entitled to around declaring all of our current and even our former partners or even anyone we ever had a crush on off limits to everyone else in our friend group or our wider social circle, that it's a violation of me and it's a betrayal of me if you sleep with the person that I was dating in middle school for five minutes. You know, in Gayland, where there's so many fewer of us, and, you know, we tend to be pretty sexually active, if all crushes, if all exes, if all hookups, one-night stands were off-limits to everyone in our social circle, everyone in our friend group, No one could ever get laid or no one could ever get laid without betraying everyone that they basically ever met. So you don't really see these bullshit games in Gayland around, oh my God, you slept with my ex from college. You do see it in Straightland. Your friend may have a negative reaction to this news, news that she's not necessarily even entitled to. This is her ex from college. It was years ago. You slept with him Once, if you were dating him, eventually you'd have to let her know that you were dating him. And hopefully if your friend was a mature person, if your friend was the kind of person that I would want to be friends with or you should want to be friends with, she would remember who he was, think about who you are. And if you guys are a good match and you're a better match for him than than she was, she should congratulate you two on, on finding each other and not be a big, stupid, whiny, titty-ass baby about it. So I guess I'm a little conflicted. On the one hand, I feel like it should be no big deal and you should be able to tell your friend about this thing that there's no actual pressing need or reason to tell your friend. On the other hand, I know that out there in straight land, it is a big deal to sleep with a friend's ex. And so it might upset the friendship. It might end the friendship if you told her. But then do you really want to be friends with someone who'd be so angry about you sleeping with a college boyfriend that the friendship would be imperiled might be a good way out of a not very healthy friendship with a not very healthy person. Hey Dan, this is a 50 year old cisgendered straight woman calling from New York. About two years ago, I got a text message from my husband saying, Hey baby, just got home. Still in a daze from seeing you. And that's how I found out that he'd been having an affair for about a year at that point. So That was pretty awful, pretty devastating, pretty traumatic, and it was a betrayal that, on the one hand, I would not have ever imagined, but also, of course, I should have expected it. We had really settled into some pretty horrible habits with our sex life, or lack thereof, with just, you know, bad communication, resentment, all of the sort of day-to-day struggles that come with being married for 22 years with teenage sons and um, stressful jobs and lots of lots of responsibility and not a lot of fun. So the good news is is that we used that moment, um, the revelation of him having had an affair, to turn our marriage into something 
pretty outstanding. And we have, you know, ended up with a really amazing marriage and a great sex life and great communication and happiness and fun and love and romance and all the things that seemed impossible before I got that text. So the before and after picture, the after looks pretty great. So, you know, I'm happy to be in this place. But having said that, I, and the reason for my call is that I just can't stop feeling betrayed. There's a part of me that is just can't get over it. I don't talk about it a lot with him. Um, It's been two years. I'm not bringing it up. But if I think about the fact that he snuck around and lied and betrayed me, that makes me really, really feel sad and angry. I had thought that it would be behind me by now. I had thought that I would just have gotten over it on some level because, as I said, our marriage has gotten pretty great. But it hasn't gone away. It's a distraction. It is not something that I want to be thinking about. So my question is, what do I do to really put it behind me? Is that something that I should just keep waiting for it to fade into the background? Is that naive? Do I need to, you know, do something more proactive to put it behind me? Is it something that I should be expecting my husband to take care of and acknowledge and work on with me? You know, we've both just kind of had this attitude of let's just focus on what we have and moving forward and, you know, not so much, you know, going back to the trauma part. So what do I do? Esther Perel, who I'm an enormous admirer of, author of The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity and Mating in Captivity, two books I think all married, partnered or want to be married or ever partnered people should read, made this observation that often in the wake of the revelation of an affair, you know, the marriage will end, the relationship will collapse, or the marriage will survive. And in many instances, the marriage will thrive after the revelation of the affair because people will be suddenly radically honest with each other. They'll see each other through new and fresh eyes. They will have stared into the abyss together and they will have chosen each other again and chosen the marriage again. And I'm just going to quote Esther here. When I speak about the fact that out of a crisis, people can come out stronger, more resilient, more robust, and their relationships can too. Very quickly, I'm often asked, would I recommend people have an affair? So many people tell you that if they have a life-threatening illness, it gives them a new perspective on life, yet nobody would recommend to go get cancer. That's our observation. You know, sometimes we face, a, a, you know, a life-threatening illness and we survive it. Maybe we had a low chance of survival and we appreciate life in a new way. Well, in a sense, your marriage faced a similar extinction-level event, a similar crisis, and perhaps the chance of survival was low, but you both came through for each other. That doesn't mean you weren't traumatized. You know, if you survive cancer, you may remember the diagnosis and the tears and the fear and the chemotherapy and what was difficult about the treatments. Even if you survived it, even if you're completely healthy now, you will still feel in a sense betrayed by your body, traumatized by that experience. And you can have both those things at once, that appreciation for your life as it is now and that awareness of the precariousness of it and the risk it was in and the trauma that you went through. You and your husband are in a much better place. It sounds like yours is one of those marriages that was perhaps maybe not saved by an infidelity. Perhaps you guys could have coasted along for another couple of decades and been fine, but your marriage was because of the affair that shouldn't have happened and was a betrayal, was revitalized. And that's I'm me paraphrasing your own description of your marriage now, revitalized by this thing your husband shouldn't have done, by this way your husband betrayed you in the same way you may feel that your body betrayed you if you got cancer, that you survived. So what do you do with that? Well, I think you have to have some place where you can express that. You and your husband, maybe letting himself off the hook a little bit, have said, let's not look backwards. Let's look forward. Let's appreciate where we're at now. 
and enjoy our marriage as it is now. But there has to be a time and a place, perhaps on a couple's counselor's couch, where you can talk about your feelings in a contained way. You know, not going to bring up the betrayal all the time, not going to rake him over the coals every day. Sometimes you're just going to eat those feelings and bottle them up and, you know, take that for the team because you like where your marriage is now and you want to keep looking forward and improving. But for your own sanity, there's got to be some, it sounds like there's got to be some times where there's accountability where you can express your ongoing feelings of betrayal. And, you know, you say you can't stop feeling betrayed. Well, you were betrayed. You don't ever have to stop feeling betrayed, past tense. The betrayal is in the past, but it exists. It was a traumatic event in your life and the life of your marriage. In a sense, it's a scar, and you can be conscious of it. And there may sometimes be lingering pain at the sight of that scar, and you should be able to express that, even to your husband. If you're worried about that sort of sloshing all over the place and ruining where you're at now, Agree that you're only going to discuss that or, you know, regurgitate those feelings or ask for his reassurance and ask for another apology when you guys go to a couple's counselor together. An appointment, you know, every few months now, every six months, maybe once a year or less in the future as you continue to rebuild, as your marriage continues to get stronger and better over time, maybe that would be the time and the place. And thank you for calling. You know, there's so many examples out there of when a a fair comes to light of the the marriage ending, the marriage collapsing. And I think we need examples of marriages surviving after an affair, but also thriving after an affair. And I'm glad that you called in to share yours, but also that it's nuanced and, and there are still feelings of hurt there and ambiguous feelings about the affair. The, the affair is never going to be something that you celebrate or, or, or take delight in, but you can still celebrate and take real delight in where you guys are now as opposed to where you were then. Everybody needs underpants, which means everybody needs to buy underpants, but everybody knows that actually going out and shopping for underpants, one of the duller activities in your busy life, you don't have time for that. So when you finally succumb and you get yourself some MeUndies, when you sign up for MeUndies, your world opens up. Suddenly you realize what you'll be giving is gifts coming up real soon here. Yes, friends, you are going to get everyone on your list some me undies because you're going to love these underpants and you're going to want to share these underpants with everybody that you love. Me undies are made of a fabric that feels so, so good. Silky, but not silk. How do they do it? We don't know, but it just feels nice. And they look so cool too with so many styles and ever-changing patterns to choose from. I love my me undies lounge pants. Nancy is greedy for her boy shorts. And the best part is they deliver straight to your door with free shipping. And while you're busy not leaving the house because you're buying your underpants at home, MeUndies makes the perfect hibernation undies and loungewear. Whether you're looking to match undies with your boo this cuffing season or you just want to cuddle up with your favorite furry friend in a onesie, MeUndies has you covered, literally covered, in their ultra soft, ultra comfortable, ultra stylish onesies. Their fabric is three times softer than cotton and offered in sizes from extra small to 4XL. Also, now they have robes for men and women, robes, slippers, and a soft new baby bodysuit. With brand new holiday prints and cozy new products, MeUndies has a gift for everyone on your list. And MeUndies has a gift, a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping, and they have 100% satisfaction guaranteed. To get your 15% off, your first pair, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Savage. It's a great way to support the show, and we appreciate it. We appreciate it when you go to MeUndies.com slash Savage. That's MeUndies.com slash Savage. Hey, Dan. One of my very, very best friends ever got into a relationship about four months ago, and ever since, things have been changing a lot. I live far away from home. My family is in another other country, and my friends are pretty much what built my support system here in the city that I'm at, so they're very important to me. It's really painful for me to lose friends, uh, and she's one of my most important friends. She's the person I call when I'm in a crisis. We used to talk almost every day over the phone. 
go out dancing. And ever since she started dating this person, she's really careless. Like if I call her, she won't call me back. We used to have these little like routines of meeting here and there just to check in. She doesn't like try to make that effort to meet with me and just check in for a bit. So I don't know if to confront her. I don't know if just to let it go. When I confront people, I get really emotional. She knows that I care a lot about my relationship. So it's even more hurtful that this is happening right now. So I don't know. This friend, not your only friend, this friend had a lot more time for you when she was single. She literally just met a guy 12, 16 weeks ago. You say they've been going out for four months and they are in the throes of that perhaps new love where you're just kind of obsessed with that other person and wanting to spend all your time with that other person. And that's not forever, that kind of obsessive new love and wanting to spend all your time with another person. And it's not illegitimate. It often lays the foundation for a lasting, loving, non-obsessive relationship where you can actually, after a while, bear to be parted and focus again on your other friendships and your other relationships. Give your friend some time and space to enjoy this stage of her new relationship. Adjust your expectations. Lower your expectations of her. Demand less from her. Expect less from her. And you won't be as disappointed in her as you are now. Again, you say she is a friend and you have friendships and you place a lot of value on your friendships. Plural. There are other friends in your life that you should turn to now, perhaps make yourself more available to, lean on, allow them to lean on you. When you talk to your friend who's still in the throes of new love, tell her, yeah, I know, I know we had sort of like a really intense connection and maybe kind of a romantic friendship. And I was eating up a little bit of emotional space that your boyfriend is eating up now and may have more of a right to as your romantic partner than perhaps I do. But I I miss that time. I miss those connections. I miss our our special thing and say to her, you know, and eventually that will come back and I can wait and I'll be patient, but just want to let you know that I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you met this guy. I'm happy you're enjoying this time with him, but I do kind of miss you, miss our thing, but I'll patiently wait for you to come out on the other side, which is not, you know, predicting the end of this relationship, which is not you saying you, you know, hope it ends so you can have her back. But in time, her need to be with this guy constantly and only, that will subside. And if you didn't allow yourself to get angry and bitter, if you didn't make a scene, if you didn't heap guilt up on her shoulders, if you genuinely expressed happiness for her, then your relationship can pick back up, kind of where it left off. She will have more bandwidth available to you once she's either no longer with this guy, a lot of relationships of only 16 weeks run their course pretty quickly, or she reaches the stage of having been with this guy for a year or more and not wanting to spend every waking moment actually needing to get away from him sometimes so that she can better appreciate him, better appreciate that relationship. The time will come when she will lean on you again and you will be able to lean on her again if you don't shit the bed now by blowing up at her. Don't blow up at her. Tell her you're happy for her. Let her know that you look forward to reconnecting again when she has a little bit more time. And until then, work on your other friendships, work on your other relationships, hang out with some other people. If you're like me, you just love shopping for Dolce & Gabbana, Givenchy, Yves Saint Laurent. You just love lurking on Rodeo Drive. Actually, if you're like me, you don't like any of that. But if you're like me, you are looking for honest, modern basics. And if those are what you're looking for, look no further than Everlane. They make sturdy, simple, good-looking clothes, all using the finest materials without traditional markups. Everlane wants you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs and they are radically transparent about every step in their process. From the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with, no matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. So essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be, versatile, simple, stylish, and made from 
from quality materials. They have a beautiful selection of 100% grade A cashmere. I love their premier Japanese denim. I'm actually wearing a pair of their denim jeans right now. Their re-wool jackets are made from premium recycled wool, and they look amazing. Check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash savage. Plus, you will get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash savage. Everlane.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am a 25-year-old gay man, and I live in a country where I could get imprisoned or even lynched for saying that, so that's fun. But yeah, that's not what my question is about. My question uh, regards professional ethics and as it relates to the LGBT community. So I'm a writer, and uh, one of the ways that I augment my uh, income until one of my books makes it onto the New York Times bestseller list is by providing proofreading services to other writers. The problem is the novel that I'm working on right now is by an American author and there are two very problematic characters and they're secondary characters. The gay guy, for instance, gropes every guy that walks by, whether they're gay or straight, whether they consented to it or not. Um, he's always talking about his sex life, even when sex is not the top topic of discussion. He's always guessing his straight friends' dick sizes and, um, talking about like his asshole, like describing it in great detail and what butt plug he's wearing, um, that particular day and wishing his straight friends were, were gay so that they could fuck his ass. And the lesbian character is a little bit of an afterthought. She's made fun of throughout the whole book for loving them piss flaps <laughs> and by the end of the book she's cured of her lesbianism when she finds quote-unquote the right dick the thing is i wonder whether i should let my client know that this isn't how queer people move through the world i don't know whether i have some sort of responsibility to the community to correct him because i don't think he's being he was being malicious when he wrote all these things i just think it's ignorance and although he's been pleasant to me up till now. I don't know how he'll receive criticism from me, especially because it's not my job to criticize him. I'm supposed to look, strictly supposed to look for grammatical and typographical errors. So I don't know if I should say anything. And I just worry because um, this is how I make the bulk of my income and I get jobs based on referrals and uh, reviews. So if he writes me a bad review, that can negatively impact my income. So I was just curious what you think. Well, first, I think it's horrible that you live in a place where you could be arrested, imprisoned, or lynched if you were known to be gay. And you, of course, have to act in your own best interests and the interests of your safety at all times. You say that you're copy editing this book for an American novelist, apparently an American novelist who's never met a gay or lesbian person in his life. And you don't mention whether this novelist lives where you live or knows where you live. And you don't say whether you know what kind of a person that he is. So it's impossible for you to assess with any degree of certainty, the risk you would be running, not just professional risks, but you know, risk to life and limb that you would be running if you confronted him about these queer characters that he's created and how not just implausible they are, but offensive they are. Would he write a review that would be publicly posted somewhere that outed you if you communicated with him about these characters from, you know, an appeal to lived experience that as a gay person, you know, gay people aren't like this and that it harms his book for him to, to write a gay character like this, not just harms any gay person who might read this book or encourages straight people who read this book to view gay people negatively or harm them physically. So I don't think that you're professionally obligated to the LGBTQ community worldwide to climb out on that limb and risk your life or your freedom to save this American author idiot from his own stupidity and to improve the novel that he's written by making the gay characters less offensive by making the, the novel less stupid and ridiculous than it is. If you've been hired to copy edit it and it's grammar and punctuation that you're being paid to assess, I'd stick with that. If I were you, if you lived somewhere else 
and you were in a less precarious position professionally and socially, my advice might be different. But considering where you do live, considering the risks, not just professionally, but socially, you don't owe it to the LGBT community to put your life at risk to save this dumb fucking American author from his own stupidity. Here at the Savage Lovecast, we have an imperative that we take seriously, making sure you and your partners have the best orgasms you possibly can. And for this reason, we are huge fans of sex toys. So why not head over to adamandeve.com? Right now, they're offering 50% off just about any item, which is incredible, plus free shipping on your entire order. Also incredible. So what do you have to do to get your 50% off one item and free shipping? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy or anything you desire. Just enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item, get 50% off, including free shipping. Again, when you enter offer code SAVAGE. That's S-A-V-A-G-E, SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hey, Dan. I am a 27-year-old gay male and living in the South. And I have a bit of a conundrum. I have been with my current boyfriend for two years now. Within the last six months, uh, his parents have moved to town. And come to find out, when we went to go to their housewarming party, it turns out that he is not out to them at all. To be fair, to myself, I have made a policy to not date men who are still in the closet, just because it's very complicated, to say the very least. Um, however, to be fair to him, I never actually asked him if he was out to his parents, because he's been so openly affectionate with me out in public. So I just presumed, uh, which was you know a mistake on my part. Um, also, I guess to be even a little more fair. Uh, when things are getting serious between us and we start to talk about, you know, friends and eventually family, when I came to my parents, I said very plainly they were abusive and manipulative and I just did not want to talk about them at all. And to which, you know, he said he didn't want to talk about his parents either. So I just, again, <laughs> made the presumption that you know he had a very similar experience as I did, but it turns out that he's actually very close to them. He stayed in the closet while in college because his parents were paying for his tuition. But now that you know he's out of school and you know for a while he was living in a different town from them, you know it was a little bit the relationship was a little bit easier. Now my thing is. I don't want to force him out of the closet at all. At the same time, I don't exactly want to be you know, his dirty little secret either. I've asked him why he hasn't come out. He's basically skirting around the question, just saying that he's not ready and that he's not sure when he will be ready. So what can I do, if anything? Because again, I don't want... To to make him come out of the closet for me, I want him to do it because he he's ready to. But at the same time, I don't feel it's fair to either of us if we kind of have to hide that aspect of who we are around his parents and family. Yeah, yeah, you can't force him to come out of the closet, but he can't force you to continue to date him if you have a no-closet cases policy, even if you only just became aware that he was closeted that he hadn't told his parents and his parents didn't know his parents that he's close to didn't know that he was gay. Yeah. He can choose to continue to stay in the closet. And one of the consequences of that choice is potentially losing you because you don't want to be and don't have to be and are not obligated to be on a technicality obligated to be for the rest of your life. His dirty little secret you know, people like to say you can never force somebody to come out of the closet. Everybody has to come out of the closet on their own schedule at their own time when they're ready. And yet, if you know more than four out of the closet people, you will meet people who came out of the closet, not because somebody else forced them, but because 
they were afraid to lose somebody else or they just faced a crisis that was not 100% internal where they then chose of their own free will to be out. They weren't forced out. They chose to be out because, in your example perhaps, they didn't want to lose the person they'd been with for two years. They didn't want to lose their boyfriend, so they finally ovid up, gonaded up, and did something that they should have done years ago for fear of losing their boyfriend. They came out to their parents. That is a thing that happens. It is perhaps not ideal. It would have been ideal if he'd come out to his parents years ago, perhaps after graduation, if his parents were the type or he feared they might be the type who would cut him off and screw up his education if he was out to them and honest with them sooner, if his parents put him in a position where he had no choice but to lie to them through college. All right, he's through college. Now he can be out to them. And sometimes people coast along ducking a difficult conversation and not coming out just because they're afraid. Because, well, I just, you know, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to use the C word because they're not cowards, but in this area of life, a little cowardly, underestimating their parents, cheating themselves out of a more honest relationship with their parents for fear that their parents may have a negative reaction. And the bitter irony, the paradox in this is if you're not out to your parents for fear of losing your parents, you gradually have to cut your parents so far out of your life to protect your closet that you lose your parents in the end anyway, for fear of becoming estranged when you tell them the truth about being gay, you become estranged because you've hidden the truth about who you are and who you love and who you're with. So yeah, have a conversation with your boyfriend. Give him six months. Give him a year. Tell him you will play this game, that you will pretend not to know him in public or you will pretend just to be a friend in front of his parents, but not eternally, not for the next 30, 40, 50 years if you're together that long, but maybe for the next 30 weeks and he's either out to them or you're out and he's out of this relationship. Hey Dan, uh, 23 year old male living in the San Francisco Bay area. And I had a question. I'm just kind of looking for some advice. So my last long-term relationship was Ooh, four years ago. And ever since then, it was kind of a shitty relationship. That's where I made lots of mistakes, pretty traumatic. And so after that, I knew that I just needed to focus on my career. So I just went full court press, balls to the wall, just focusing on school, uh, volunteer work. Every single weekend was just spent doing all these things to, to get a handle on my career, this and that. So also, just due to some upbringing, I felt like I had to mature a lot quicker. Um, having seen parents gone through a divorce, I uh, had to, you know, living, I was living in a fucking one bedroom apartment uh, with my dad. And then from there, it was just, I was hungry for this success. Anyway, I was always focusing and focusing on just this career thing, this career thing, and feel like I've kind of lost some time with uh, just dating and getting no more girls, this and that. So after my relationship, it was, had some sporadic flings. Most of them were shitty. And so now I'm kind of finding myself in this position as I'm trying to dial things back a little bit, have a little more fun. I'm completely fucking lost as to just go about it. I've tried the online dating thing. Tinder hasn't worked out for me. Um, I'm trying to slow down on the drinking. So trying to avoid bars. Yeah. I mean, what would your advice be for someone my age to just kind of get out there, have a little more fun, uh, not get too serious and just in, enjoy my life while I'm young? Oh my God. You're 23 years old. You've got one relationship under your belt and some flings. You're perfectly normal, perfectly average. I hear every day from 23 year olds who've never had a relationship, never had a fling. So clearly you are capable of having a relationship. You are capable of meeting someone and flinging with them. And you just need to be a little bit more confident and at ease with yourself. You say you don't like bars. You say you don't like the online thing, I'm going to propose a middle ground between the online thing and going out and getting hammered and picking people up, which is 
you know, avail yourself of the available tools in the same way that you applied yourself professionally and, and career-wise and made that whatever it is, whatever your career is, congratulations, made that start to happen for you. You can now apply yourself, not romantically, because you don't want a romantic commitment right now, but sexually. And that means, again, availing yourself of the available tools, which in this instance really is Tinder and OkCupid and Match.com and Farmers Only and Christian Mingle, whatever site works for you, whatever dating app or hookup app or personal site works for you, be on there. But don't be sucked into endless conversations and DMs with people on there. If you connect with somebody on Tinder, if you're a match, exchange a few messages and then propose a meeting not in a bar. Propose grabbing coffee or having a quick lunch just to meet face-to-face. -face. That way you don't invest too much time in someone who may be catfishing you or may be lying or may not look like their pictures or you just may not click with in person. And that may involve a little bit of churn, but that effort is worth it because in that churn you will meet somebody who wants what you want. And you say you don't want a romantic attachment and you don't want a commitment right now. Perfectly fine. A lot of people your age, including a lot of women your age, don't want that either. But they do, particularly women, because men are testosterone-soaked dick monsters and many are dangerous. Women want to know enough of you and have enough of a sense of you to know that they're safe with you and that they can trust you. And so you may have to put yourself out there a little bit, make yourself available a little bit in a way that perhaps feels wrong or not quite dishonest, but perhaps you worry may be misread as, you know, romantic interest. And the way you control for that is just by using your words, like I like to say, and being honest. 23 years old, your career is just taking shape and getting off the ground and you're not interested in you know, the bandwidth emotionally or socially right now for a you know big serious relationship, but you'd like something casual. Say that. Of course, you might fear saying that because she might get up and leave, might walk out of the coffee shop. But you know what? If she does, well, that's an indication that she didn't want what you wanted and so you weren't a good match. And the next woman you meet up with and say that to may want exactly what you want. And that's the woman that you're looking for, that woman in the pile who wants what you want or the women in the pile who want what you want right now, which is some fun and perhaps getting out there, doing some shit and connecting sexually without a big commitment. It's not just guys who want those casual friends with benefits style relationships. There are a lot of busy young women your age who are in school working on their careers who want some intimacy, who want some sex, who want some connection, who want a buddy that they can fuck. Those are the women you got to look for. Apply yourself to finding those women in the same way that you've applied yourself over the last few years to making your career happen. Hey, Dan, I'm a 28-year-old female living in the United States, heterosexual, and I work all the time, so it has been difficult to meet men. I have been using online dating for the past couple of years, and I have met some really great guys that I have ended up dating for a period of time. However, um, I have noticed that men, when you meet them online, even before the first date, are already talking about sex and going on vacation. Um, it's gotten to the point where I dread meeting these men um, because as a female, you don't really know who you're going to be able to be safe around. Um, because, you know, date rape culture is a is a real thing. And it always takes me aback every time they start mentioning sex before we've even had our first face-to-face -face contact. It's uncomfortable also to tell these men, hey, um, I don't think it's time to talk about sex yet. There's a time and a place for that. Because then I come off as some sort of a prude, which I am absolutely not. Um, I've had my fair share of sexual partners. But I feel it's disrespectful to um, bring sex up before we've even met. Um, am I being um, way too, um, I don't even know what the word is, prudish, modest um, for this hookup culture? Um, I just don't feel like sex is something that should be on the table until you've gone out a couple of times and then it's okay to have a conversation about it. Online communications can be disinhibiting, and people who wouldn't toss sex 
on the table right away, if they met somebody socially, if they met somebody at work or through friends, maybe inclined or tempted or just thoughtless enough to toss sex out there right away with someone that they met on an online dating app or a hookup app. And, you know, there's a difference, I think, between dating apps and hookup apps. Tinder is much more of a hookup app and people, I think, feel entitled and rightly so, perhaps, to talk about sex right away on a Tinder versus a match.com or your OkCupid or your farmers only. But if you're meeting people on dating apps and somebody tosses sex out there right away in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, you should just say to this person what you said to me. Hey, you know, I don't like to talk about sex. Not approved, but, you know, talking about sex with somebody right away before I've even met them face to face seems a little bit you know, cart before the horse. Maybe we can leave that for after our first couple of meetings. Perfectly legitimate. Say that. And if the guy reacts badly, don't meet up with him. He's thrown up a red flag. You've clearly stated a perfectly reasonable boundary and you've said so in a kind way. Hey, that's fine. I'm totally into sex, not a prude, but maybe let's wait till we meet up before we start talking about sex. And if he reacts like a spoiled brat, well, not only wouldn't you want to have sex with a spoiled brat, you wouldn't want to waste your time having a coffee date with a spoiled brat either. So in a kind of distressing but bank shot way, that person who reacted badly to what you said when you threw that out there has done you a favor. You can get busy blocking them and talking to somebody else on a dating app who is more on the same page you are about when to raise the subject of sex. And you've had some success. You say you've had some success on dating apps, meeting nice guys and going on dates and having relationships. So rather than focus on the handful or more than the handful or the plurality or the majority of guys who rush to the sex topic a little too quickly for your comfort, focus on the guys who don't. Block the guys who do. Sooner rather than later. Don't waste time on them. Don't make an investment in them. Instead, focus on the guys who aren't doing that thing that makes you feel uncomfortable and disinclined to meet them. Rather, go off and meet the guys who do make you feel comfortable and leave you inclined to meet them. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Why underscore just because tweets. Ah, fake Dan Savage, I listen to you every week and yet I let myself fall into a lengthy pre-meet texting situation. There was zero chemistry in person and I wound up hurting a nice guy. People, listen to Dan. The man knows what he's talking about. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Thank you for the endorsement. Why? Just because, of course, that tweet references my advice not to have lengthy, drawn-out DM text conversations with people you've met on dating apps before your first initial meetup. Establish a connection. Establish attraction with a few text messages, and then propose a quick coffee to make sure that you are attracted to that person in person as well so that you do not waste that person's time or your own. Repeat tweets. Part of me wants to call into the Savage Lovecast and tell at fake Dan Savage that some vasectomy scars are indistinguishable from standard scrotal wrinkles, that that may be TMI. There's no such thing as too much information here on the Savage Lovecast. That's why I'm reading your tweet and your call at 206-302-2064 would have been perfectly welcome and probably made it into the response calls at the end of the show. And M. Fulkerson tweets, just finished my first Savage Lovecast Magnum episode, courtesy of an early Christmas gift and oh, the bliss of extended interviews and ad-free commutes should have gone Magnum Ages ago, thanks for everything you do at Fake Dan Savage. You're welcome, and thanks so much to the person who gave the gift of the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can do at savagelovecast.com. And I hope you continue to enjoy all of your gifted Magnum episodes. Mr. Fulkerson. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hey, how you doing, Dan? I just listened to your recent episode, I want to say 679, and I'm calling in regards to the woman who has cheated not once, but twice. And it almost seemed as if you dismissed the fact that she has been emotionally unfair to this man, you know? And one thing that I'm used to hearing you say is communication. There was no indication that there was any type of communication or any type of her taking um, ownership of her play and all of this. I really think you missed the ball on that aspect. I love your show, though, but I really think um, the fact that we're not 
um, respecting this man's position in all of this just speaks more on how we ignore the fact that men have feelings too. Being cheated on does hurt. There could be more that goes along with this, and I wish you would have pried in a little bit more on that aspect. Calling about episode 679, um, the husband who wanted to get his wife to explore her fantasy life more, and Dan explored some of the language that the husband chose. Um, one thing I'd like to consider, like him to consider, is to stop saying that he wants to help his wife. He wants to help himself. Sometimes men try to roll this out that they are trying to help their partner when really the helping is not for them. So just consider reframing your language, sir. Uh, women can tell the sort of selfish trickery. It's not cute. That often backfires. Hi, I'm calling about the caller asking in 679 about a gender reveal party. I always wanted to do one. You know, you have the balloons, you pop it, and out comes, instead of a bunch of confetti of pink and blue, out comes one little paper. You pick it up off the ground, you open it, and you say, gender is a social construct. That is what I would recommend. Say to your brother, I will plan this, I will do this, and then have that happen. That will really show him that not to invite you to any more of his things, but I do think it would be hilarious. All right, we're going to leave it there. If you have a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Please call us with your questions and your comment. You can also record your question on your phone and send it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also send those questions to mail at savagelove.net. The calls that we get that people record on their own phones are of higher quality. They're better for listeners. So if you have the technology, if you are adept with technology and you want to make a voice memo on your phone and email it to us, we would appreciate that. If you like my rants at the top of the show, you're going to want to listen to me blab and spar with my coworkers at The Stranger about the news of the week on the Blabbermouth podcast out every Wednesday. And this week, my dirty little film festival, Hump, opens with all new films in Seattle, Olympia, Portland, San Francisco, and new this year, Vancouver, British Columbia. You can catch a whole new lineup of short, dirty, smart, funny films, and then vote for your favorites. This is a year, a hump year you are not going to want to miss, and tickets are selling fast. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets for the opening festival, and keep your eye on humpfilmfest.com to find out when Hump, 15th Annual Hump, is coming to you, to a city near you, next year. All right, follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Dr. Alain Brunet on Twitter at Dr. A. Brunet McGill. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. And I'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.